Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on our series, The Revelation. And if you want to turn with us, uh, we're going to look over into the book of Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we, we said, if, uh, if you remember, that Jesus is the one speaking. And we find the Apostle John is the one that is, is writing. And he is putting it down and he's bringing this message uh, to the churches in Revelation. And uh, we've already heard the message to Ephesus uh, and, the, and the message to Smyrna. And so now we're going to walk through this message to the local church of Pergamum or Pergamus. And, uh, and the last two churches had their challenges, and Ephesus, they, they had its faults, but Pergamum really has some serious internal struggle among them. And, and so they, they put up with a tremendous amount of external pressure from Satan's influence. We know that's just a reality, and you, you need to think about this today and consider yourself in this as we, as we walk through the scripture together. Uh, because uh, you may be facing something similar too. It's, the, it is the, it's this external pressure that you face, and, uh, and is, it, is it more than you can bear? Well, we always have to trust in Christ in those times. You know, sometimes you, you may say, well, uh, you, you have to let that pressure flow towards the Lord. In other words, when we feel the pressure against us, we have to put that up to Him, Right? And it's an important part of our walk with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Christ is great enough to handle the pressures of this life and uh, that you think sometimes that you bear alone. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you're bearing this stuff alone in life. But in reality, the Lord will is there with you if you're in Christ. And you've got to allow him to uh, bear the weight for you. Uh, when, I, when I think about external pressures, I remember when I was a kid and I was in, uh, well, uh, just, yeah, whatever, I was 18. So I was a kid. So I was out in Beloit and I was out at uh, uh, college there, technical college, and I worked for a, a locally owned uh, uh, meat, uh, a family owned meat company uh, called Clement Quality Meats. And we used to make sausage is one of the things we would do. We made sausage, made jerky and you know all those kind of things that a locker plant does and and so I enjoyed making the sausage because it was it was easy it was productive I mean you could see the end result pretty fast and and so we would mix the spices in sometimes we would throw it in a mixer if it was very much and throw the sausage in there and throw the all the spices and stuff to make it good and mix it up or or we if it was a small batch we would do it by hand and then we would stuff, I would stuff the meat down in this big old cylinder and it had a, like this piston thing in it. And you would stuff all that meat down in there and then you'd put the lid on it and turn it to kind of like a pressure cooker. And, and, and so then you'd turn on the hydraulic motor and it'd put a couple hundred pounds of pressure in there. And so, you know, it's pretty, pretty stout. And so then you, then you would turn the hand, you would move the handle. Once the air would come out, you would, you would, you would move that handle and uh, put a bag over that to fill the bag up, right? To fill it up with sausage. And so you could do that, and it would fill up. It's, it's always kind of interesting, because one thing about it is that the sausage always conformed to the bag. 
And if it was sausage links, it would conform to the skin, right? And that's, that's just kind of the way it is. And when, there, when there's external pressures in your life, kind of like the sausage, if you aren't careful, you can conform to the mold that you're forced into, right? And so that seems to be what happened in the church in Pergamum. They were, they were under pressure of their community, and they started conforming. We kind of get that from what uh, Jesus is telling John and what he's writing down to the church there in Pergamum. And look at what he says here in verse 12 of chapter 2 in Revelation. He says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Then verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And he says in verse 15, likewise, uh, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And in verse 16, he says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious... I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Father, help us to allow your word to speak into our lives this morning. So he says right off of the bat, you know, here, you, you live uh, in this place where the throne of Satan is. And so you need to realize that Jesus identifies himself as the one who has this sharp double-edged sword, right? And this is significant because he's speaking to a church who is divided by deceptive teaching that seems to be affecting them. And Christ is going to fight against these false doctrines in the church, he's saying. And this truth of Jesus and his double-edged sword is really expanded in what the writer says in Hebrews chapter chapter uh, 4, verse 12 and 13. It says in verse uh, 12 of Hebrews 4, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any, uh, to a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what God's word does to us, right? It does that to our lives. It speaks into our lives. But you know, you really can't stop there. You have to look at the next verse. It's pretty important for us because he says, nothing, say that word with me, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, say that word with me, everything, everything. is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So even though these guys lived in a spiritually hostile environment or a hostile wor world, uh, Hebrews 4.13 reminds us that you, will, you as followers of Christ will still give account to God. We, we all will. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if we got reverend or pastor behind our name or if we, we got PhD after our name. It doesn't really matter. 
And and, uh, Jesus tells them, you you live in a city where Satan has set up his throne or where he lives. So we know that Pergamon was a hostile place uh, to the followers of Jesus in John's day. In fact, some of the history for them says that Pergamon uh, was still uh, was a capital of the Adelaide dynasty from uh, 283 B.C. to about 133. That's still a long time before Jesus, but that was still important to them. That had some uh, cultural and spiritual effects. And, and it, in fact, Pergamon had the, one of the largest libraries in the world. It actually rivaled Alexandria, Egypt, which was the largest library at that time. And Augustus awarded Pergamum for its first of three imperial temples, but Ephesus overtook it in 27 B.C. as the capital of Asia. And the city was literally carved out of a mountain overlooking a river valley to the south. So it's in a good place, but one leader built an altar to the false god Zeus there. And some say, well, that's just Greek mythology. Uh, no, don't misunderstand. That's 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 religious spirit. It was real stuff. Only it's just for them at their time frame, and they really worship those gods. So he builds this altar uh, to Zeus, and he has a massive uh, has a massive colonnade with a, it's a U-shaped altar that was 18 feet high. It was on a platform 18 feet high. So this is what 27 feet high. It was just that high, and it was by about 120 feet by another 110 or something like that. And some scholars identify the altar of Zeus with Satan's throne uh, that's mentioned there in Revelation 2:13. But more likely, Pergamum's close connection is with the imperial cult uh, that accounts for John's use of the phrase there. So, so we see that there's some things, one way or the other, whichever way it is. So uh, Pergamum's renowned library actually had over 200,000 books. And that's where Pergamum is, is where the, uh, that, that, this, uh, that parchment, the writing material of the day, that's where they, they come up with it. That's where they designed it. And it was a great, it was a big place to where they manufactured it there. So you're talking about a big and important place, right? They had other complexes there that they where they had other false gods there, but they had three gymnasiums where they trained the young men and stuff. They had, uh, you know, they had theaters, and you can go on. You can say you can look at it and say this is a modern place, except they don't have electricity, right? That's kind of what you have to look at when you look back in these places, because some people say, yeah, they don't have much technology. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it is a big deal. So, but this place is gone now. Pergamum is gone, right? And its remains are there under a, a Turkish city now called Bergama. And so we're sure that Pergamum was at least considered Satan's full, a throne full of false gods and a center of worship to all these, these false gods and, and of the emperor, right? They worshiped the emperor too. They had to. The great part is, as Jesus told this church, for the most part, right, for the most part, Yet you remain true to my name. You remain true to my name. And, uh, you know, do you ever feel like you've been part of the seed of Satan? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I remember uh, back in the early 90s, I was part of a ministry that they actually were doing some church planning. And they went to church plan out in what we all call Sin City uh, from the days gone by in in, uh, Nevada, right? I think you may be aware of Las Vegas. 
And uh, so they made some great headway there as they were preaching the gospel uh, uh, in, in that area. They had all kinds of people coming to faith. Uh, even some of those, the girls that were involved in that, they were coming to faith. They had so many different people coming to Christ. And many of them didn't know anything about the Lord. And now we have those many sin cities all over the United States, right? But, but the, church in, uh, the church there in Sin City, or even in Topeka, is still challenged by the ideologies of the world, like false teachings of the New Age and humanism and the occult, aside from other things. And there's so many things out there. In fact, capital cities, oh, we may be one of those, Capital cities in themselves bring about humanistic views that aren't compatible to Christ. And so that, that sometimes we're in a hot spot, right, in those things. And sure, we're small town USA, but, but those kind of things happen. And everyone is vying for something, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not. But, but we, must, we, must, we want Christ to be able to say to us, you remain true to my name. That should be something that we want from deep inside of our heart because we want to be walking with the Lord. We need to be like the, the group in Pergamum that Jesus said this to out, out of verse 13. He's kind of, you can say it this way, you kept your faith even when others died for it. He says there in verse 13, he says, You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. So it's interesting that Pergamum was a city which Rome had given them a, a rare power to actually use capital punishment because they didn't all have that, and that was symbolized by the sword. And so the Christians in Pergamum, they were reminded that though they lived under the rule of almost unlimited power, they were citizens of another kingdom. And that is something that we must remember, that we are citizens of another kingdom. And uh, 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 we don't need the sword. They have the, he has the sword, and the sword is in his mouth, and he is the Lord. We have to remind ourselves that in the days that we live in, because too many times we try to fight naturally, and we think that our victory is there, but ultimately, ultimately our victory is in Jesus Christ himself. We need to put our real faith to where the rubber meets the road. We need to be able to live it out and allow him to live through our lives as followers of Jesus. So, you know, one scholar says that the close location of the name Satan before and after Antipas in verse 13 in the original language makes it virtually certain that this guy's death was instigated by the hostility of the pagans there. And Jesus calls Antipas his faithful witness. Now, I don't know him, and we don't know him, but, but the scripture mentions him, and he was faithful even to death. No matter what the pagan government required of him, he was choosing to follow what was right. And Antipas, he may have been the, the first or the most notable of the martyrs there. And that may be what the deal is and why the Lord brings that out, because maybe everybody knew who this guy was. Uh, and I don't know, but at least they knew the story of what took place. Just because Jesus mentions him doesn't mean he wasn't the only one that faced things, right? And sometimes people say, well, I'm not well known, so who cares? God cares. That's who cares. 
because he cares about every individual. It doesn't matter who you are or what your background has been. And so the most important thing is that the majority of the church there didn't give up their faith when the pressure rose to levels which could have caused their knees to buckle. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine the way that they had to face the, the, the stress and the pain and the pressure at that time. You know, there are different ways to handle pressure, Right. And, uh, and we, we, we can all handle it differently. There, you know, there's a couple ways, but one is illustrated by a miniature submarine. And I know we've had those in, in the news in the past month, but uh, the, there's a miniature submarine called a bathosphere, which it was used to explore the ocean in places so deep and under such high pressure uh, that it would crush a conventional submarine like an aluminum can. Uh, and so they, they, they use these mini-subs compensate with plate steel several inches thick, with, thick, several inches thick which keeps the, uh, the water out but also makes them heavy and hard to maneuver so it's hard for them to get around. So, but inside they're not alone. When they go down into those places, it's interesting. Have you ever thought about that? Here they are. They, they drop down in the ocean with these, and then they get to look out that thick plate glass window, and what do they see there? Fish. And you're thinking, what in the world? How do those fish handle that? Well, they use something different. They don't use, that. They don't use a hard, thick skin to be able to control the pressure they do something else. They, they, they have that pressure differential in them. They're soft and they're supple and they go with the flow and they handle things uh, as, they, as they're down in that area. Not quite like a submarine. They have to use that thick plate steel. And I guess it, it kind of reminds us you don't have to be hard and thick-skinned as long as you allow God's power within you to equal the pressure on the outside. We have to be willing to allow God to speak into our lives and to help us on a daily basis so that when the pressure comes, that it doesn't cause us to implode. We have to trust Him and allow Him to work. And that power, the power comes from the Holy Spirit as we stay connected to Him. The power also comes from His Word as we allow His Word to speak into our lives and then to live it out on a daily basis. And, and although you may need to be supple, Jesus said of these that were still some, there were still some issues in this local church of, of, of Pergamon. They, they were still having some problems there. And so, but and he's saying this, some of them still adhere to false teaching in church. And look at what he says in verse 14. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So the church in Pergamum was kind of internally divided. They were struggling and a lot of things, a lot of pressure on them, but like many churches today, but some followed the faith of Antipas and walked with Christ. It was Jesus speaking to the church at this point, right? It was Jesus speaking to his people. And he was happy with some and not so with some of the others, but 
Others chose to follow these two false teachings, Baalism and, and, uh, and uh, also the Nicolaitans' teaching, and they're probably similar from what we understand. But, but one thing we should know is that their teaching was corrupting the local body. Remember, these are local churches, right? These aren't just like, uh, sometimes we uh, have like a totally different perspective and we misunderstand things when we read the Bible. These are local churches. They're like Topeka first. You know, they're like the, one of the other churches down the road. They're, 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 it's the local church. And so uh, they, they fell into this trap of eating food that was sacrificed to some false god. In other words, they were taking part in worship, worshiping some idol at the same time as they were worshiping the true God. And we know God is, tells us in his word, he's, he's a jealous God. He doesn't like that. He doesn't put up with that. And, and these guys were about 65 miles away from Ephesus, uh, who had also given in to the Nicolaitan teaching, and it was possibly connected to the prostitution uh, with, the, with uh, worshiping the false god Artemis or Diana. But this should, this should really take us back on how God, on uh, more than one occasion, ripped his people out of their land because of their idolatry. We see that in Israel, right? We see that in Judah. It wasn't just there. It was in both of those places. And, and we saw some serious things happening. And that, that really should be a warning to us, to his church, to his people today. It should remind us that God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a reality. God doesn't change his personality. He is who he is. He is who he says he is. Uh, and Christ also warned some in the church at Pergamum because they fell into the trap of sexual immorality. They had all these other things happening. And can't we say today that some of these things have become ingrained into the American culture, into our very culture that we live in, right? And so the melting pot of America has allowed things much like it did in Pergamum. So when you, when you consider Baalism that Jesus was speaking of, it should bring you to the Old Testament where Balaam is in there and Queen Jezebel was there who is a controlling wo woman who didn't serve God. She was not a very nice lady. Uh, and if you study the Old Testament to see how selfish and controlling she was, uh, that type of person, whether that person's a man or a woman, uh, can affect the church of God. And then that, that's, uh, that's what uh, that Jesus tells the church that it's battling these kind of problems there in verse 16. So it's like he says it this way, turn away from these things. He's saying turn away from this stuff. He, he, said, he uses that word repent. And here I have to say that repent is more than just saying a little prayer. Because I think that we, we get that in our mindset. We think, oh, it's just saying a little prayer. And yes, it, yes, it is a prayer. It includes that. We're saying, God, I, I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to turn away from that junk and turn towards you. That's what, that's what repentance is. It, it's that, that turning away from other stuff and turning towards him. And Jesus is speaking to the whole congregation to turn away from the stuff that was hindering them and turn back to God. But Jesus is also giving... A significant warning to those who are teaching and practicing these ungodly practices like sex outside of marriage and involvement with the occult and the new age and these other false teachings that were out there at the time. So Jesus speaks to them as one who has a two-edged sword in his hand. So Jesus speaks to them and he says, get it right 
and come back to me. Put your trust in me. You know, sometimes, why do people do that other kind of stuff? I think they do it a lot of times, one, because they either feel bad about themselves, feel bad about their situation, or they become discouraged, and so they try to let all these other things try to be able to help them, when the reality is we need to be able to allow the Lord to be the source of our strength, the Lord to be the source of our encouragement, the Lord to be the source of our hope. And so it, it doesn't mean that they're horrible, bad people, but they messed up and they started looking at the wrong direction. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to do the same and look to the Lord and allow him to guide our lives and to help us. Because we, we are, none of us are perfect, right? Uh, as scripture says in Romans, Paul, Paul said it, he said, all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So nobody can look down their noses at anyone else and say, well, yeah, I've done pretty good compared to you. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so that's not very good. Yeah, that's the first thing I do every morning when I get up and I look at Jody and I say, well, I'm doing better than you. <laughs> and she says, well, I'm doing better than you. No, we, we don't do that. Don't worry. Uh, but, but, but we can get that mentality, though, so it can go either way. So he's speaking to the, to the, uh, the church, right? Not to the Old Testament, not to the Old Covenant people, but, but to the church. And he's trying to help them. And he's saying, stop it. One time I came back from Africa, there was, uh, when I was uh, ministering and living there, I had a person that, that attended a church here in Kansas because uh, I was born and raised here, and uh, they had said uh, they had some su uh, supplements that would help me in my diet. Because, you know, I got a weird diet, gluten-free thing, and so if you're gluten-free, you know, I, I never could figure out when people were going on gluten-free because it became a fad, you know. And I was like, do you really know what that's like? Uh, and so they have to dump sugars in, and they have to dump, dump all kinds of other stuff to make, you, make it taste better. Right, Jody? Isn't that what that? Yeah, it's, it's fun. So anyway, so I come back and they said, hey, we got some supplements and some ideas to help you. So I, I, I talked to this lady and I was going to go to their house. I kind of felt uneasy about it, kind of had a check in my spirit. But uh, as foolish as I was, I went anyway. And so I, I arrived and I met some of the family and discussed the, the supplements. The husband was there too, but, but something still just wasn't right. And then this, quote, church person, so they, they went to church, went to a church, but they pulled out, she pulled out her new age paraphernalia. And when I realized what her intentions were, I'm saying, adios, I'm out of here. And I left. You know, you can't serve the Lord and Satan at the same time. You just can't. We have to walk with Christ in faith with all of our hearts, and finally we will come to the best part here. We come to the best part here in the last, and we have to trust him, and we have to walk with him, but know that he's got our back as we walk with him. And this last part is this, you, you overcomers, you victors, you will receive a promise. He's not saying they're perfect. He didn't say that, did he? He, he knew that. He didn't say they were perfect. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to keep our ears open to allow the Spirit of God to speak into our lives. And he says, to the one who is victorious, or to the overcomer, as he said to some of the others, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who received it. 
or who receives it. He didn't say that you had to be part of the in crowd. He didn't say that you had to have this friend or that friend or be politically empowered. He, he didn't say any of those kind of things. He, he didn't say that at all. That's, that's not what he's saying. He said you will receive some hidden manna. And th this reminds us of the manna that Moses spoke about and dealt with. And when the Israel survived on for 40 years in the wilderness. And that some of this manna was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And so God was showing his people wonderful grace and mercy by providing food in the desert. Remember, these guys were pulled out of Egypt. They, God saved them out of Egypt, pulled them out of that place. They had been under slavery, so they didn't have a dollar to their name except for what, how the Lord worked out with them to be able to come out with some of the blessings of the people there. And, but they didn't have hardly anything, and they started whining a little bit, but God helped them, and he provided for them food. But here, here Jesus uh, may be saying that you, you refuse the food offered to idols and I will allow you to eat at the great banquet of the Lord. He's saying you, you refuse to go down and, to, be, and to, 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 to fit in with what everybody else was doing and you chose to walk out my way and to live my way and I'm then going to sustain you. I'm going to make sure that you're going to make it because I have a plan for your life as a person. I want to eat with the Lord on that great day when we all come together. There will be a day when it happens. And some say, ah, oh, people have been saying that for years. That's okay. And we'll say it until he comes because when he comes, then we'll know. And they, they will know. Overcomers will also receive a white stone. Now, the white stone has been a little bit puzzling. And some have thought of the stone to be related to what was used as voting stones back in the day and may have been, uh, may be seen with an inscription that acts as a, a formal invitation to a banquet. So there's some different things. But don't you, don't you want to have an invitation to the Lord's party? And he says, you know what, you're welcome here. I, I want you in here. And at last, they will receive a new name. They'll receive this new name, and the name may be the name of Jesus, or it may be a name that the Lord gives you and I. Uh, but one thing is for sure, those who will overcome will have that. And I can see how it is uh, that if it's the name of Jesus inscribed on our white stone of invitation, why the banquet attendants would be let in when the supper comes. Because those overcomers who will receive the promises, they will receive the promises of God. Don't, don't give in to the pressures around you. And so, you know what? It's interesting. Sometimes as we get older in our faith, as we've served the Lord for a while, we say, well, you know what? I'm not tempted by that kind of stuff. No, you're probably not tempted by the same old things that you were tempted at with before. And you may be. I don't know. But, but uh, sometimes other things, it's uh, those other little things that come in and say, well, yeah, you could just do this or just do that. Uh, and so we, we don't want to be pulled in by that kind of stuff. We want to trust in our, our Lord and know that he's got our back. I don't know, you remember my story about the meat company uh, uh, earlier this morning. It's, uh, it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of pressure to make sausage, to push that meat up through this small, small little tube into, a, uh, into this uh, plastic pouch. 
there's something funny about making sausage. If you move the handle too fast, if you move that really fast, well, it's going to do something. It's going to blow the bag up. And you're, it's going to blow the bag up. Ask me how I know. Uh, and it's going to blow the bag up, and then you're going to have to take that out of the, what's left in the bag, take it out, and then put it back into the system. Uh, and so this, if you move that handle too fast, you're gonna, or you're going to destroy the sausage link, right? And so this is where you can let the pressure rest on Jesus because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, that's the thing, friends. Sometimes when we hear a word like this that the word Jesus gives, we, we think, oh, well, man, that's tough. That's, that's difficult. How can you throw this out at us? But, but that's where we have to be able to learn that the, the Lord has, a, has his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He gives us grace, but what we have to do is we have to turn to him and allow him to work that out in our lives. When you give your burdens to him, it kind of breaks the mold, doesn't it? It breaks the mold. You don't have to let the pressure or the mold that the world gives you dictate to you how you're going to walk with God. Don't let those things control or rule your life, but allow Jesus to help you so that you can be strong following him and his path for you and so you can recognize his will and his plan. You know, we're always going to have pressure. We're always going to have things that uh, put pressure against us in our lives, whether it's school, you know, school's coming back again, like, like Jody mentioned, the backpack giveaway, you know, we got that coming up, and some don't necessarily want to think about backpacks, and I get it. I'm sure that there's professors and instructors and teachers that they don't necessarily want to think about it, but, but the fact is, is those times are coming, and when pressure comes into, into our life, we have to be willing to turn that pressure over to the Lord and say, God, I don't know if I have this all myself, but I'm going to trust that you'll take some of this burden. And we have to get, how do we do that? We do it by prayer, just like that, just like talking to God. I say, God, I give this pressure to you. I give this difficulty to you. Could, could you imagine what Antipas know, uh, what he went through? I, I, we don't know what, he, what it was like for him, but I'm sure that he had to give that pressure back over to the Lord, and he gave his life on behalf of Christ. For us as followers of Jesus, we may not have to do something like that, but what we do need to be able to do, no matter what the pressure in this world is, we need to look to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm not going to hold this any longer. Because usually where we come into problems is because we try to hold it for ourselves, right? It's like, well, we can do it. And no, and the fact is, is the Lord is the one that is there to be able to help us to hold that. And he only gives us what we can handle. Father, we look to you this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunity to be overcomers. You give us the opportunity to be victors because if we partner with you, Lord, we know that you are the one who is already victorious. Jesus, you defeated death, hell, and the grave. You were raised 
and you're seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you have set us free by your grace. And you give us opportunity to be able to trust in you, Lord. Father, may you help us today to turn over everything to you so that you may do what you want to do in our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. God bless you this morning.